this morning, uh, if uh, you got a Bible in the uh, in your seats, the Bible reading this morning is going to be on page uh, one one nine seven. If you got a mobile device, you can uh, download a free app on the the uh, Bible, and uh, we use a new inter- international version for that. This morning, our reading is coming from First Corinthians six. 12 through 20. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I am not mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and for the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will arise us also. Do you not know that your, your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immortality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with our body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? It's powerful words. The Holy Spirit. We've been talking about how the Holy Spirit is tragically ignored by many Christians today. And yet he is the person of God who we should be most mindful of, who is most relevant to our everyday lives. For those of us who live in this time between when Christ ascended back into heaven and when he shall return again. And in this meantime, he has sent us his Holy Spirit to empower us to live the life he's called us to live, that we can only live by his power. And so perhaps there is nothing more important than the Holy Spirit, and perhaps there is nothing more confused or misunderstood than the Holy Spirit. And so, hence the reason we've been in this series for the past few weeks. If you've missed any of it, you can catch up on our website, cypressstreet.org, and uh, we even have a podcast. If you're a podcaster, you can go on there and find our podcast at Cypress Street Church of God's podcast, and you can listen to messages on there and get caught up on anything if you miss anything.
And so we've been talking about specifically how the Holy Spirit has been sent to help us. And we can call on Him for help. And we should call on Him for help instead of just ignoring Him. He has the power to supernaturally empower us to do good that we might otherwise lack the ability to do. And today we look at the fact that we are called, just as we just read, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God in our very bodies. So I'd like to just kind of talk a little bit this morning about temples, about the significance of what this meant. What we read there was from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians is one of two letters that we have a record of from the Apostle Paul written to the church in the city of Corinth. And Corinth, you may remember from our our series on the love chapter, but it is located on the Greek peninsula. It was located there and was a very prominent city in the Roman Empire. And he wrote to this church that would have been made up both of Greeks, people of that Greek background, and also Jewish people who lived in Corinth. And so when Paul said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the living God, of the Holy Spirit, temple would have brought to mind a couple of different things for that audience. To the Greeks especially, it would have brought to mind the kinds of temples that they had in their own city. Perhaps you've seen pictures of the ruins of Greek temples and and Roman temples with the huge pillars that are left standing to this day. And Corinth in particular had at least a couple of big ones. One to the uh, god Apollo and one to the goddess Aphrodite. God of love, goddess of love. And perhaps it's no coincidence that the Apostle Paul deals deals so much with sexual immorality in this chapter because sexual immorality was rampant in Corinth and specifically had to do with the temple of Aphrodite. Did a little bit of reading about that. Did you know that there were at any given point in history when that city was in its prime, there were up to, well, over even a thousand temple servants, (laughs) we could call them prostitutes, who served in the temple of Aphrodite, a thousand. And as it was a seaport, and as captains of ships docked in there, they would frequent this temple to do their worship of the goddess Aphrodite. Perhaps that seems foreign to us today, but I would submit to you that perhaps worship of that God is as rampant today as ever. But there was another group of people in that church, and those were the Jews. And when they heard the word temple, though I'm sure they were familiar with the huge temples in their own city, the temple at the forefront of their mind was the temple in Jerusalem. The temple built for the living God. So let's talk just a moment about that temple. Because if we are to be the temple of God now, then perhaps the most pertinent thing to this discussion would be to look at the temple of God of old. 
that he first commanded to be built. Let's start actually all the way back with the temple of, uh, that was called the tabernacle. It really wasn't a temple at all. But Moses, whom God used to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, took them out into the wilderness. And we know, uh, if you've been around church stuff at all or seen the Hollywood movies, you know that then the Israelites became this nomadic people. They had been slaves stuck in Egypt for so many years, but now suddenly they were nomads wandering through the wilderness. And one of the things that God had them do during this time was to build a tabernacle. A tent, if you will. And all their tents would be around it and they would dwell there, but inside this area they had a a court, if you will, and the tabernacle itself. And inside this tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. And it was in a sacred place deep inside that tent. And whenever the Israelite people would pick up and move, they, would, they had very specific instructions about who did what and how the tabernacle was taken down, moved, and set back up. And when the tabernacle is introduced to us in God's word in the book of Exodus, here's something it says. After they had built the tabernacle, it says that then the cloud that represented the presence of God covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Well, the Israelites wandered and did this for about 40 years this tabernacle and then they moved in to conquer the land that God had promised to them so Joshua led the people into the promised land and they went about conquering a new land after a while they did they conquered most of that land they had their foot securely in this area But they were still constantly being besieged by other nations and constantly having to fight to keep what they had taken. And you had King Saul come and he did some fighting along those lines. Then you had King David come and he really took it to him and uh, was God's instrument in securing that promised land. David was also described as a man after God's own heart. And a man fiercely loyal to God. And I believe that one of the things God loved so much about David is he was always quick to repent and he was always quick to worship. And one of the things that David desired was to finally build a permanent place, a beautiful place, to be the dwelling place of God. And he asked God for permission to build a temple rather than just the tabernacle that they had been using for so long. And God was, if you read the account, grateful for David's seeking this, but he said, you're not the man to do it. You've been my instrument to destroy all these other nations. That has been your role. But your son, after you, he can build my temple. And so David did a lot to lay the groundwork to do, the prepara- to do the preparation and the planning. But it was Solomon, his son, who built the temple. And 
I'd like to just kind of show you. This is like a little 3D model, if you will, that's going to show you a little video of what, um, what the temple looked like. We can mute the music, actually. Sorry, I didn't realize it had music. Uh, although that was nice, wasn't it? But here's just a glimpse at what Solomon's temple would have looked like. The courts around it and the temple itself. Amazing, isn't it? Just imagine that being built so many years ago. Something like 3,000 years ago. Man, incredible. And I want to read to you a little bit of what happened um, when Solomon finished this work and he prepared to dedicate this temple. And Solomon prayed a beautiful prayer. It's a long one, so I'm going to just kind of skip around a little bit and give you some summaries. Uh, but later, if you want to go back and look for it, it's in Second Chronicles chapter 6. And he stood before the altar of the Lord and before the entire congregation of Israel that was gathered there for this momentous occasion when they were going to dedicate this incredible temple. And it says he spread out his hands. And this is what he said. Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping his gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with their whole heart. You have kept what you promised to your servant, my father David. You spoke directly to him and you fulfilled your promise by your power as it is today. In other words, he said, God, you promised that your son would build this temple for you, and here we are today to dedicate it. He goes on to say, But will God indeed live on earth with man? Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. And then he goes on to say, When people come to this place, God, and they pray to you. Would you hear their prayers? And he goes through all these different situations and scenarios. When many troubles come and people come to you and they pray, would you hear their voice, God? When foreigners come to you who aren't even Israelites, but they've heard about your greatness and they come to this place and they pray to you at this temple, would you hear their prayers, O oh God? And when, people, when your people sin against you, God, and they come and they pray for forgiveness, would you hear them? On and on he goes about this idea of just hearing their prayers, their petitions. And then he says, Now, my God, please let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers of this place. Arise, Lord God, come to your resting place, you and your powerful ark, again, which represents the presence of God. And may your priests, Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your godly people rejoice in goodness. Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the loyalty of your servant David. And here's what it says happened as he finished praying. When Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices that they had put before him on the altar there. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. 
Remember when it said that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle? Well, again here, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Here's just an illustration, an image of that temple that we saw a moment ago being filled with glory. It says the priests were not even able to enter the temple because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And all the Israelites were watching when the fire descended and the glory filled the temple. And they bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and praised the Lord saying, For He is good and His faithful love endures forever. Quite a scene, isn't it? And just as Solomon had prayed almost... I mean, you know, he was a wise guy. One of the things he had prayed was... God, if your people turn from you and, and you have to forsake them, but if they come and turn back to you and they pray to you, will you hear their prayers? And sure enough, as we read through history and through what the Bible tells us, the people of Israel did reject God. And God did allow them to be conquered. And the temple, this incredible temple that Solomon had built, was completely demolished and destroyed. And the people were scattered across nations and taken and exiled. But God sent a prophet, several prophets, but one in particular named Ezekiel. And the prophet of Ezekiel, he had a vision of the temple being rebuilt. And what God had to say about the temple as he gave this vision to Ezekiel, I thought was interesting and pertinent to our conversation this morning. And here's what Ezekiel wrote. He said, Then the Spirit lifted me and brought me into the inner court. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Imagine that. And then he said he heard God saying this, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The people of Israel will never again defile my holy name. Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfection. This is the law of the temple. All the surrounding area on top of the mountain will be most holy such is the law of the temple and such is the temple of God but now here's the apostle Paul saying to us don't you understand that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit what does it mean to be the temple of God what does it mean for us today to be the place where, his, where he sits on his throne, where the soles of his feet rest, where his glory fills the temple, the place that is supposed to be set aside as most holy. Let's just think about for a moment some of what it means to be the temple of God. For one, I think it's inescapable that we must realize that as the temples of God, God's glory is to dwell in us. Whether the tabernacle, whether the temple, 
of Solomon or the temple that Ezekiel foresaw, always the same thing was said. The glory of God was there. Filled the temple. And so the glory of God should fill you and I, for we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, not glory for us, but glory of God. You know, some, sometimes I think that we, we ask God to come into our lives because we want God to join us on what we're doing. <laughs> but really, the point is for us to join Him in what He's doing. And it's always about the glory of God as the temple of God. It's never about our own glory. Interestingly enough, Scripture teaches us that when we seek God's glory, that He glorifies us in return. But that cannot be our end goal. Another thing to consider, when you consider being the temple of God, is holiness. Do you know, deep inside the temple, there was a sacred place, a room set aside where the Ark of the Covenant dwelled. And it was called the Holy of Holies. The holiest of holy places. So holy, in fact, that no one entered it except once a year. And then it was the high priest. And even as he entered, they tied something to his ankle so that if he wasn't right with God and got struck dead while he was in there, they could pull him out without going in to get him. That kind of holy and even what God said to Ezekiel. Do you remember he said, All the surrounding area on top of the mountain where my temple is, is to be holy. Set apart. Holiness can seem a little scary. <laughs> what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be the temple of God? I mean... Are we supposed to be like that? I mean, holy of holies? Sacred? Holiness means separateness. Means that something is set apart for God's purposes. And so to become holy means that we allow God to set us apart for His work. It means... You know, a lot of times we just think of holiness in a behavioral sense. You know, that you're supposed to do this and do this and don't do that and don't do that. And if you do all the do's and don't do all the don'ts, then you're holy. But ultimately, holiness has to do with being set apart for God. With saying, God, I am yours to do with as you wish and to live your life that way. You know, this thing about our bodies being the temple of God, it really messes with the way that we like to compartmentalize things. And people have for years. We like to separate the spiritual stuff from the physical stuff. And people do it nowadays as much as ever. You know, most people in our, what we would call our secularized culture, 
still consider themselves spiritual people. But there's the spiritual side of things and then there's their physical life. And the two tend to be separated pretty thoroughly. And for Christians, that happens as well. You look around at Christians and they're deeply spiritual people and they believe in prayer. But so often they don't allow it to affect their physical life, their behaviors and their choices. But if our bodies, our physical bodies, it teaches, are a temple of the Holy Spirit, then it changes the way that we think about what we do with our bodies. And that's what Paul was getting at when he went into all that about what we eat and you know, the whole anything is permissible, yes, but not everything is beneficial and all that about sexual immorality and what we do with our bodies. And he re- concludes all that by saying, don't you understand? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Would you do that to God's holy dwelling place? He talked specifically about sexual sin and he talked about, you know, if you unite your body with a prostitute, you become one with her. And is that acceptable for a body that's supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, today, you know, we live in a different place than Corinth. And, uh, you know, you don't, we don't have the temples where the prostitution just happens openly. That kind of thing. And yet, I would venture to say, I mean, I didn't live back then, obviously. <laughs> Unless you believe in reincarnation, then who knows? But, my guess is that today sees more sexual immorality than in the day of Corinth. And the reason that I say that is because we have uh, certain things like, well, the biggest one being the internet. And it has changed the game in a lot of different ways. There are lots of great things about the internet. I researched this sermon on the internet this week. So that's good. But... Well, hopefully it's good. But there are also some things about the internet that have just completely transformed our society in some pretty incredible and sometimes terrible ways. One of those ways is that you no longer have to walk down to a temple. You no longer have to do anything publicly. You no longer have to be seen at that institution You can go in the privacy of your home and deal in all sorts of immorality without anyone knowing the better. And we wonder how so much sick darkness has crept into our world when we see things in the news about terrible things that people are doing, even with things that involve children, and it breaks our hearts. But when they can close themselves in a quiet room and do whatever they want to and deal in all sorts of filth in their minds, is it any wonder? And so that's why I say I feel like probably 
all sorts of immorality, including sexual immorality, is more rampant today than ever because what's to stop you? There's no shame anymore. It's all been privatized and anonymized, if there's such a word as that. I want to challenge you, church, because we are to be the temple of God, to watch yourselves closely on that. Don't separate what you do on your computer or what you do with your mind or your eyes or your thoughts or your body. Don't separate that from what is spiritual in your life. Don't make, well, yeah, I do the worship thing, I do the prayer thing, but this is different. This is what I do with my body or this is what I do with my free time or whatever. You know, don't try and compartmentalize it because it doesn't work that way. The Apostle Paul says our bodies, our physical bodies, are intrinsically tied to our spirits and our spiritual life and to God's spirit. When we become Christians and we invite the Holy Spirit to live in us, what we do immorally corrupts the temple of God. Far be it from us to do that. Let me tell you something else incredible. Remember when Solomon kept saying, when people sin and they come to this place, to this temple, and they ask your forgiveness, God, hear their prayers. Here's an incredible truth. As the temple of the Holy Spirit, when I stand in need of forgiveness, I can pray and the Holy Spirit in me offers forgiveness. Isn't that incredible? Imagine the implications of that. We are to be holy. Yes. And yet when we fall short, there is a God present in us whom we can ask forgiveness and He makes us clean. And He makes us holy. Our very bodies are a place of forgiveness and grace and justice. I believe that with all this temple talk, if you will, that there's an individual sense, as we've been talking about it, but there's also a corporate sense, a together sense, that together, as God's church, we represent the temple of God. And when we gather, you know, in a place like this, it's often easy for us to think about this as the temple of God, these bricks and mortar and sheetrock and drywall, and this is a beautiful place for us to gather and I'm so thankful that we have it but if we had to meet in a dark dingy basement somewhere we would still be the temple of God and church we need his power in us to live the kind of life that he's called us to as his holy temples and we need his power in the church to be the church that he's called us to be There's a quote that I think pertains to all this. To this idea of us being filled by the Holy Spirit, being His dwelling place. And it's found in a book called Forgotten God. And if you haven't read this book, I recommend it to you today. I wrote it down on your little note card. 
so that you'd have the title and author with you when you leave this place. And I would encourage you, it's a, it's a breezy read. It's not one of those that's going to just numb your mind with the academicness of it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a breezy, easy, down-to-earth read by a pastor who has a heart for people no longer ignoring the Holy Spirit. And here's what he said. The world is not much moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Holy Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. We're not called to be a country club. We wouldn't need the Holy Spirit's power to do that. But we are called to ask the Holy Spirit to live in us and to live like He does live in us. That fills in the blanks on your card as well if you want to do that. Ask Him to live in you and then live like He does. Ask the Holy Spirit. I would venture to guess that some of us have never asked the Holy Spirit to live in us, even as Christians. And I would guess that those of us who have, you know, maybe once, and yet Jesus himself taught us to pray persistently, and that if we would, then Jesus... God would be gracious to give us the Holy Spirit. That's in Luke 11.13 where Jesus taught about persistent prayer. And he said, You know how to give generous gifts to your children. How much more will your Father give you the Holy Spirit if you'll pray like this? And so I believe that it's not only okay but biblical to continually pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us. That we would be His temples. That we would, as we go through this, through this life, that we would be vessels in which the glory of God is shown, in which holiness is in place, not by our power, but by the Holy Spirit's help. That we would strive to live like places worthy of being called the temple of God. First, First Corinthians 6 that we read earlier, he said, again, do not... Do you not understand that you, your bodies, are a temple of the Holy Spirit? And he goes on to say, You are not your own. You have been bought at a price. And what a high price. So therefore, honor God with your bodies. Ask Him to live in you and live like He does. What I want to ask us to do as we prepare to close our time together is that if you would like to pray together as a body of Christ today for His filling in your life, for God's power in you, for the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, if you would like to pray for Him to fill you with His Spirit,
I want to ask you to stand and go ahead. It doesn't matter whether it's the first time that you've ever prayed such a prayer. Or the umpteenth. We continually need God's Spirit in our lives. So let's pray together. God, this is lofty stuff to try and understand how my body, how our bodies, how we, mere mortals, can be the temple of the living God. But this is what your word teaches us. We don't know, God, exactly what that means. We don't know exactly what this looks like for each of us to be filled by your Holy Spirit. We all live in different places. We walk different lives. We have different people we rub shoulders with from week to week, different things, different challenges that we face. And yet, you say each of us is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, we ask now, regardless of what that means for each of us, we ask your Holy Spirit to fill us. Because one thing is sure, we cannot live holy lives worthy of God Almighty's throne on our own. We're going to need your help, Holy Spirit. We cannot do anything that's going to matter much in the way of changing this world for Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask you, come Holy Spirit and fill us with your power and with your grace and with your glory that the world might see you when they look at us and that they may be changed by it. God, change our world for the better through us, your temples. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And together we say, Amen.